This is God's word. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Lauren. Friends, it's great to be with you this morning. My name is Charlie Dunn, and as John mentioned, we're in the process of uh, tomorrow now they're going to demo the rest of this uh, stage, and then we're going to build a um, a new, smaller, uh, not quite as, as deep stage that will allow us to add some additional seating um, in the front. So we are um, excited about that. I want to say thank you to our worship team, many of whom got here at 7.30 this morning to um, set up all of the, the AV down on the floor, um, moving it there um, for our worship today. So thank you, um, worship team, for doing that. Um, any, any fans of uh, George Michael, the English singer here this morning? If any of you are George Michael fans, you might know that in 1987, he had this uh, hit single that made it to the very uh, top of the Billboard uh, charts, a, a hit single um, by the name of Faith. And if any of you are fans of the TV show The Office, you might remember that is um, Andy Bernard's uh, acapella uh, solo as well in that um, show. And if you wanted a title... For the sermon this morning, I think it would be a lyric from that song, You've Got to Have Faith. John referenced that in his prayer earlier. Uh, we have been in this uh, teaching series called Faith You Can Explain. And we've been looking at Romans chapters 1 through 5. Romans is a letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. And if you want a concise summary of what is the whole Bible about, what is it that Christians believe? There's no better place to look than Romans chapters 1 through 5. And, and so we've been pressing into these chapters together, uh, both because uh, we want to be people who um, are, are more in love with Jesus, more uh, energized by what it is that he has done for us, who understand more deeply what we believe, but also we've been saying, gosh, how can we get better at being able to explain our faith to those who don't yet believe, to our unconvinced, um, seeking, and skeptical neighbors and friends. So we've been walking through these chapters together, Faith You Can Explain, and for several weeks we were camping out as Paul was explaining the answer to the question, what's wrong with our world? And, and for several Sundays we, we were talking about sin and the God complex, the desire to rule our own lives and how that separates us from God, and, and so Paul spends a long time on what's wrong with the world, but then beginning in chapter 3, verse 21, he begins to answer the question, what has God done to make things right in the person of Jesus? He begins to share what you might call the, the gospel, the good news, the heart of the Christian message, and we got a summary of that again in verse 24. You might have heard as Lauren was reading this morning. Here's again what Paul says there. He says, we have been justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And you'll notice even in that slide, there are, are these three distinct but related aspects to the good news of the Christian message. Two weeks ago, I preached on what does it mean that we are justified freely by grace, that we are honored, forgiven, accepted right before God, not as something we earn, but as a gift of grace. 
And then last Sunday, John answered the question, how can God do that? How can he forgive the ungodly and still be a good and just God? And the answer that John explained is because Jesus was willing to take the very judgment of God upon himself for us on the cross through the redemption that has come by Christ Jesus. And then today, we're going to look at the last of those phrases, how do we receive the good, gracious work that Jesus has done on our behalf, we receive it by faith. And so what does that mean? What does it mean for us to receive what Jesus has done uh, for us uh, by faith? You know, some of you maybe have heard before of a guy by the name of John Wesley. John Wesley was the founder of the uh, Methodist Church. But you know, before John Wesley ever founded the Methodist Church, he was a missionary to Savannah, Georgia. This was in 1735. He came to Savannah, Georgia because he wanted to share the good news of Jesus with the colonists who were living there. And yet, even though he was there to share the good news of Jesus, John Wesley had actually never trusted in that good news for himself. John Wesley still believed that there was something he had to do to prove his worthiness before God. He still felt like his religious activity was was something he had to offer to God in order to be justified before him. The idea that you could be justified by faith alone, simply by receiving what Jesus had done for him, he thought, that's just too easy. That can't be true. I've got to add something. And, you know, it wasn't until John Wesley went back to England that one day he heard the gospel preached. And he heard uh, these words from the preacher. The preacher said, so have we to do nothing, nothing to do to contribute to our salvation? No, nothing. But we accept him who is made unto you wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is Jesus And in that moment, for the first time in his life, John Wesley trusted in God's grace for him in Jesus. He received the good news of what Jesus had done for him by faith. Uh, John Calvin, some of you might have, this is kind of a church history uh, tour now it seems like, but John Calvin was a, a reformer in the Reformation era. Here's how he put this. He said, as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Do you grasp what Calvin is saying here? This is really important in a city like Dallas because a lot of people in Dallas have some background with the church, don't they? Some people have called Dallas the buckle of the Bible belt, meaning there are a lot of people who maybe they've grown up exposed to Christianity. Maybe they've gone to Christian camps. Maybe they at some point were baptized or even confirmed as a teenager. Many people who have gone to church week in and week out, and that's wonderful, but all that Jesus did for you will remain absolutely useless to you, Calvin says, unless you actually trust in Jesus for yourself. Unless you actually receive Jesus and who he is and what it is that he has done for you in the gospel. And so that's what we're going to talk about together this morning. What does that mean? What does it mean to receive 
the good news of the gospel by faith. And I want to do that by asking just two questions together. First, we're going to ask, what is faith? And then secondly, we're going to ask, how does faith heal our hearts and how does it heal our world? In other words, what difference does it really make for our good and for the good of those around us if we believe that we are right with God, not by virtue of our works, but by faith in what Jesus has done for us? So let's look at those two questions together. So first, what is faith? What is faith? When, when Paul says in verse 25, he says, Jesus is to be received by faith. Or verse 26, when he says, God justifies those who have faith in Jesus. What, is, what does that mean? What does it mean to receive Jesus by faith? What is faith? I think it's important for us to grasp that faith is not irrational. Faith is not blind. Faith is not believing something in spite of the evidence. No, faith is very much rational. Faith is aligned with our reason. Faith is acting in line with our very best thinking. Faith is not opposed to thinking. It's acting in line with our thinking. Um, I don't know, did anybody know, notice in the news this past week that um, there was a group of tourists who were visiting the Grand Canyon? And when they were visiting the Grand Canyon, they, they wanted to go down into the caverns of the Grand Canyon. They're 200 feet uh, below the ground level. And in order to get down there, they needed to get on to an elevator. Now, I assume that, that most of those who um, were getting on the elevator, they thought to themselves, you know, this elevator is probably able to safely take us down 200 feet uh, to the caverns. Anybody ever been on an elevator before in this room? A few of you, some of you get on an elevator every single day. You don't even think about it, right? You don't need to think about it because an elevator is usually so reliable, so trustworthy that you just step on and you assume this elevator is going to be able to effectively and safely get me to where I need to go, right? So it's, it's reasonable, it's rational to assume that an elevator is able to safely transport you, but it does take an act of faith, doesn't it? to step onto the elevator. And in this case, these tourists, they stepped onto the elevator. They probably didn't even think about it. They got on the elevator, and sure enough, the elevator was able to successfully get them down into the caverns. But the only problem is that the elevator was not able to successfully get them out. And so for about 30 hours, they remained underground in those caverns waiting uh, for that elevator uh, to be repaired seems like a pretty um, frightening sort of experience. But here's my point. Here's my point, is that uh, even though that particular elevator was not working to get them back up, was it rational for them to get on the elevator in the first place? Yes, absolutely. I mean, all of the probability, all of the reason, all of the thinking would say, yes, this elevator is able to safely get me to where I need to go. And yet... It took that act of faith for them to act in line with that thinking to get onto the elevator. What's my point? My point is this, is that when it comes to, to faith in Jesus, 
Um, if, if you are somebody here this morning and you would just say, I don't know if, if I have that, that, that ability to trust in Jesus. You know, sometimes people who say, yeah, maybe, maybe you have um, faith. I'm just not a person of faith. I'm just not somebody who's able to believe. That's not how faith works. It's not like some people are people of faith and other people are not people of faith. We need faith all of the time to act in line with our reason. You know, uh, about a week ago, we had the first wedding um, here that we've had as a church here in the sanctuary. Ken and Kim Dunham got married to each other, and they got to know each other. They had good reasons, I think, to want to marry each other, but it still takes faith, doesn't it? To, to commit your life to somebody else, and the same is true with Jesus, and so if you're going to be a person who trusts in Jesus, or if you have friends or neighbors who are considering faith in Jesus, what we need to be able to share with them is that you don't just need to kind of close your eyes and say, I'm, I'm going to, in spite of my best reasoning, I'm going to try to believe in Jesus. Now, it starts with your reason. It starts with thinking. So we want to invite our neighbors and friends to explore who is Jesus, Begin by reading a gospel. Begin by considering, is Jesus really who he claims to be? Are there good reasons to believe he really is the Son of God? Are there good reasons to believe he really rose from the dead? Can I really believe that Jesus can make the most sense of my life and I'm going to find life by trusting in him? So faith is not a blind faith. It starts with reason. It starts with thinking. Faith is acting in line with our best thinking, not opposed to it. But then more than that, and here's really one of the biggest takeaways I hope that we have from this morning, um, is that faith, when it comes to faith in Jesus, what matters most is not the strength of our faith. What matters most is the object of our faith. What matters most is not how much we believe or how hard we believe. What matters most is in whom we believe. Do we have faith in the right person, in the right object? Uh, a few weeks ago, one of our church members told me, I love this, they, they said they were, they were riding to church in an Uber. And when they got into the Uber, they told the Uber driver where they wanted to go. They said, I'm going to church. Will you drive me to this address? And, and he said the Uber driver got very excited the Uber driver thought this was really neat, very cool that this guy was going to church on a Sunday morning. And, and so naturally, he asked the Uber driver, he was like, hey, are, are you a Christian? Because you seem really excited about the fact that I'm going to church this morning. And the guy said, no, I'm not a Christian. He said, I'm, I'm actually Hindu. He said, but I love that you're going to church because he said, my understanding of, of God is that there are a lot of different paths. There are a lot of different ways to get to God. What matters is not so much the God you believe in, the object of your faith. What matters is if you believe it sincerely. What matters is if you believe it genuinely. What matters is the strength of your faith, not the object of your faith. And I think we see that. I think we hear that view a lot in our culture today. Like, it doesn't really matter what you believe, as long as you believe it um, with, with passion, as long as you are genuine about it, as long as it is meaningful to you, what matters is the strength of your faith, not the object of your faith. But look what, look what Paul says here in Romans chapter 3. Could not be teaching something more directly opposite than that. Look what Paul says in verses 29 through 30. He says, is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? 
Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. In other words, how is a person who is born in India saved? How is a person born in the United States saved? How is a person born in a Jewish family background saved? How is a person born in a Muslim family background saved? How is a person born in a Christian family background saved? It doesn't matter. Your background may be totally different. You might be coming from any different part of the world. Paul says the way that a person is made right with God is through one person, and that's Jesus. That's through faith in Jesus. What matters is not the strength of your faith. What matters is not the sincerity or the passion or the intensity of your faith. What matters most is getting the right object for your faith, trusting the right person for your salvation. And I think our common sense kind of backs up this understanding, does it not? Let me just give you another kind of heights-based illustration. We'll kind of run with that um, for this morning. Um, did anybody see in the news this last week um, that, that for the very first time ever, an eight-year-old boy was able to climb to the top of El Capitan um, in Yosemite National Park? Did anybody see that? That's not him. Um, this is the guy... Uh, th this boy had a harness on. I think that um, CPS would have been called had he not had a harness. He and his father successfully climbed together, no less impressive. But um, uh, others of you, maybe you have seen that documentary, Free Solo. Anybody see that um, before the guy who climbs without a harness to the top of El Capitan? And um, if any of you were inspired by that documentary and you thought, you know, I could do that too, and Let's say you went out and, and you started climbing. You're climbing without a harness. You're making your way up. It's 3,000 feet on this kind of bare cliff face. Let's say you're 2,000 feet up and you're climbing along and all of the sudden you lose your foothold. Now you're just hanging on by your hands. You know if you let go, you're going to fall to your death. And yet you look over and you see that just a few feet over, if you could kind of swing over, there's a little ledge of rock protruding from the cliff face. And you think to yourself, maybe if I could swing over and land on that ledge, I'd be okay and I could keep climbing safely. Now in that moment, if you are thinking to yourself, you know what, I am 100% confident that ledge absolutely is going to hold up my weight or if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I think it will, I hope it will, I, I'm going to trust that it will, is it going to make any difference as to whether the ledge will hold you up? No, it, it won't. So long as you have enough faith to, to swing over and to jump, if that ledge is solid, it's going to hold you up, regardless of the strength of your faith. And if the ledge is not solid, it's going to crumble no matter how much you believed that it would hold you up. The point, friends, is that what really matters in life is not so much the strength of your faith. What really matters is the object of your faith. Are you trusting in the right person? Are you trusting in somebody who actually can hold up the weight of your life when everything else would crumble? What matters is not so much the strength of our faith, but the object of of our faith. And can I tell you why that's really comforting good news if you're a follower of Jesus? 
I don't know about you, but, but for me, sometimes I look at a verse like verse um, 28 where, where Paul says, a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And I think, I think that sounds like good news. I'm not saved by my works. I'm saved by faith. But then immediately where my mind goes is it begins to wonder, but do I have enough faith? Or is my faith good enough? I know myself. I know that, that my motives are mixed. Sometimes I think I, I genuinely love and want Jesus. Sometimes I think I want things from Jesus, like to be forgiven or to have eternal life or for him to, to bless me. I know my motives are often mixed. I see other Christians who I think are just like on fire for the Lord. They're so passionate. They're so committed. And I think, man, that really looks like they have a lot of faith. Do I have enough faith? Is my faith good enough? Is my faith pure enough? I've got doubts. I've got questions. I feel like I often need God to give me like nine confirmations before I'm willing uh, to really trust him and to take a risk to, to follow him. And we wonder, is our faith pure enough? Is our faith good enough? Is our faith strong enough to be really saving faith? And yet, can I remind us this morning that Paul doesn't say we are saved because of our faith, as if our faith were the basis or the grounds for which God was saving us. Now he says we're saved by faith, saved through faith. Faith is just the means by which we accept, by which we receive the grace that he has given to us in Jesus. And so we come to, to Jesus saying, look, Jesus, I've got my questions, I've got my doubts, but what matters most is that we just see that we need Jesus and that we come to him. Uh, if anybody has ever heard of, you know, Billy Graham, the the evangelist who you know, did a number of, of different crusades, always at the end of, of the crusades, they would sing this, this hymn. It's called Just As I Am. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fighting in fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Meaning what? Meaning that, that, that what saving faith is, is it is enough faith to come to Jesus, to say, Jesus, I recognize that I need you. I've got my questions, I've got my doubts, I've got my mixed motives, I've got my struggles, but I've come to see that I need you and I'm coming to you. What matters most in our faith is not the strength of the faith, it's the object of the faith. It's trusting the right person coming to Jesus. That's the faith that saves us. That's the faith that connects us to Jesus to receive that gift of who he is for us and what he's done for us. Now, how does that begin to heal us? How does that heal our hearts? How does that heal our world? That's our second question. What difference does knowing that you are right before God, not based on your own works, but that is a gift that you simply receive by faith, how does that heal our hearts? How does that heal our world? Let me just say something uh, to that. Maybe you noticed in this this passage that two times Paul contrasts faith with boasting. Did you notice that? Two times he contrasts faith with boasting. So verse 27, he says, where then is boasting? It's excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. 
Then again, in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So two times, Paul contrasts faith with boasting. And you know, this is a theme that actually runs throughout the Bible. Jeremiah chapter 9, there God says, um, through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, let the wise man not boast of his wisdom. Let the rich man not boast of his riches. Let the strong man not boast of his strength. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows me. Boast in the fact that you get to know the Lord. And then Paul, in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, um, he asks this question. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? It's a really humbling question. What do I have that I did not receive? And then he says, if you received it, why do you boast in it as though you did not? Why do you boast in it as though it were a credit to you? If any of you are basketball fans and you've been watching you know, the NBA, now that the Mavericks are, are playing again, if you're, if you're watching and you see this like six foot nine basketball player go and dunk over the defender, you're going to see that and you're going to think, wow, that was awesome. What a, what a great display of athleticism. But then if that basketball player begins to kind of swagger back and they start, you know, kind of shaking their, their finger or pumping their chest, in that moment, what might you think to yourself? You might think, okay, but you're six foot nine, right? Of course you were able to, to dunk over. That's not a credit to you. It was a great act of athleticism, but you did not give yourself that height. You didn't give yourself that athleticism. That's a credit to God. It's not a credit to you. But, but all of us in this room, we do that very same thing, don't we? Right? We, we look to different things to be our boast, we want to boast in our, in our appearance, or we want to boast in our intelligence, or we want to boast uh, in our children, or boast uh, in your, your job or your accomplishments. We look to these things to be our boast, and we want to say, I did that. That's a credit to me, right? Not to somebody else. We look to these things to be our boast. Now, now you say, well, what's, what's wrong with that? We'll come back to that in a moment, but here's, here's something to, to even recognize. At some level, this is how we survive. Boasting is, is actually a way that, that we, we, we get confidence to be able to face a really scary world, a really competitive world, a really cutthroat world. So if tomorrow you show up to your job and you find out that you no longer have a job, Right? If you get let go from your job, you feel like you get knocked down significantly, or if, if somebody at work criticizes your work, or maybe you get overlooked for something, or perhaps somebody kind of mocks you or makes fun of you or excludes you, and, 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 and you just feel kind of like you've been knocked down a peg, do you know what you're going to do? Do you know what, what I'm going to do? My, my heart, our natural heart instinct is, is if we, we lose our boast in something, immediately we start looking for something else that we can boast in. 
something that our hearts can attach to, to feel um, a sense of, of worthiness and confidence again. So we think, well, at least I'm still a good father, or at least I'm still a good husband, or at least, you know, I, I'm a Christian, unlike those godless secular people, or at least I'm of the right political party compared to those terrible liberals or those, you know, awful conservatives or whatever else it might be. We look for something to boast in to get a sense of confidence to face a scary and competitive world. We're all looking for something to boast in apart from Jesus. Now, what's wrong with that? What's the problem with that? Well, um, in terms of our own hearts, the problem with that is all these other things that we look to boast in, to derive our sense of self-confidence from. When we have them, what happens is they tend to puff us up. We tend to get full of ourselves. We tend to get inflated in a kind of way that actually diminishes our, our thinking and our judgment, reduces our compassion towards other people. Or when we don't have those things that we tend to want to boast in, we feel inferior, we feel inadequate, we feel discouraged, we feel low. Anything that we're going to put our boast in other than God's love for us and praise of us in Jesus um, what will ultimately rot us inside. And often we'll kind of swing between these feelings of, of feeling good about ourselves and feeling badly about ourselves. And, and more than that, more than that, you know what boasting often leads to? Boasting often leads to taunting. Right? You see that a lot in sports. You see that sense of, of I'm going to feel good about myself by feeling like I'm better than you, looking down at you, taunting um, somebody else is an expression of boasting. And, and it leads to so much of the, the division, so much of the rivalry, so much of the animosity and the, the hatred and fighting in our world. Boasting often leads into taunting. Uh, did anybody know there's an election coming up uh, a week from Tuesday? We don't see any taunting in, in politics, fortunately, uh, do we? But um, I'll tell you, even as it relates to this upcoming election, boy, if we're not careful, you know, it's one thing to say, look, I, I'm going to vote. I'm going to exercise my responsibility to vote. There's a candidate that I think would be a better candidate. I think this party has a better vision for our society and for public good. That's one thing. But to the extent to which our identity, our boast becomes wrapped up in a particular political party. We think this is the good party. This is the party that's making the world better. So therefore, if you're not part of this party, you're part of the problem, not part of the solution. The only way that you can maintain that sense of, of your self-worth and boast and value in your political party is to demonize or marginalize or villainize people who are on the other side. And it leads to so much of the rivalry and the hatred and the animosity that we see in our culture. Boasting often leads into that taunting. And so what's, what's the solution? How, how do we break free from finding our worth and our value in these boasts? Well, the answer is what Paul gives us here. Faith, justification by faith. Right? Because if, if, if instead of having to, to boast in yourself, instead of having to praise yourself or look for that praise from other people, if instead you know that now you are justified by faith, you are right with God. And what it means to be justified is not just that you are forgiven, but that God delights in you. 
that God honors you, that God praises you with the very same honor and praise with which he praises and honors his son Jesus because now you are united to him. What that does is it gives you a confidence to face anything in the world at the same time that it drains our pride because we know that that righteousness is not a credit to us, it's a credit to Jesus. You know, just as it was for Abraham, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. He wasn't righteous, but God treated him as if he were righteous because he trusted in God's promises. The same is true for us. That's an identity, that's a value, that's a worth. If you know you're justified by faith that begins to heal our hearts, begins to heal our world. Let me, let me end with this. Um, Alex Lamar, I see Alex sitting right there. Hey, Alex. Uh, last Sunday after um, the service, Alex was reminding me about a great story in the Gospels. Um, it's a story about a woman who uh, was bleeding for years and years, she couldn't stop that bleeding. She'd gone to various different um, physicians. Nobody was able to help her. And then one day she saw that Jesus was passing by with these throngs of, of crowds. And she thought to herself, if I can just touch Jesus' garments, then I might be healed. And so she goes towards Jesus. She touches Jesus' cloak. And, and Jesus stops. And, and he says, who touched me? And his disciples, they think that's ludicrous because they're like, are you kidding it, Jesus? I mean, there are all these people around you. What do you mean who touched you? Everybody's been touching you. But Jesus stopped and he asked that. Why? Because he wanted to single out that woman. He wanted to draw attention to that woman. He wanted to put forward her faith as an example of what it means to have faith in Jesus, to connect with Jesus. Now, was this woman, you know, pretty perfect and pure in her theology and in her understanding of Jesus? No, it's even superstitious, right? She thinks, if I could just touch his garment, maybe then I will be healed. But you see, I think what, what Jesus is teaching when he looks at her and he says, your faith has saved you. What Jesus is teaching there is he's saying, look, what matters is not so much the strength of your faith. What matters is not so much the purity of your faith. What matters is the object of your faith. It means coming to the right person, coming to Jesus. She is desperate. She sees her need for Jesus, and she comes to him. How much faith do you need to receive the grace of Jesus for you? Enough faith to come. Enough faith to be willing to come to Jesus even as we have the opportunity to do as we come to the Lord's table this morning. So I want to invite us to, to, to maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, um, to come to Jesus with that faith as we come to the Lord's table this morning. Would you join me as we pray? Our Lord Jesus, we recognize and we're honest with ourselves to know that our faith is often um, full of mixed motivations, that our faith is often more weak than we know it should be. And yet Jesus, just like that woman who was willing to come to you, she was desperate. She knew that she needed you to save her. That's how we come to you this morning, Jesus. We acknowledge the depth of our need for you. And we come to you trusting in the reality of your grace for us.
We receive what you have done for us by faith. We are amazed to think this morning that your Father praises us and honors us and delights in us even as he delights in you, Jesus. We pray that that would fill us with great confidence even as it would drain our pride as we move out into this world. We pray that you would help us to be a people then who don't need to boast in ourselves, but who confident in your love for us are able to move out, not with dissension and rivalry and division, but with real love for other people, especially those who are most different from us. Jesus, we come receiving your grace for us today at this table in Jesus' name.